I'm Hannah. I'm Sheena. And I'm Lori. And this is Cemetery Row. Woohoo! Woo! You guys are in different order in my Zoom, and it's freaking me out. <laughs> <laughs> so, welcome to Cemetery Row, and welcome our latest cast member, Hank Yay! the Tank. Yay! Hank the Tank. He was adopted on March 24th from the wonderful felines and canines of Chicago. Um, he is currently being dangerously quiet somewhere, but I'm going to leave him be because apparently he hit puberty this morning. Um, and we would want to keep that to a minimum, but yeah, yeah, he is half border collie, half lab with probably a little bit of this, that, and the other. And he's <laughs> and my okay. giant sweet boy. And you can follow him on Instagram at Chicago Hank the Tank. Yay! <laughs> He was just showing that pillow who's boss. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's all it was. Oh, I love it. Not um, being super uncomfortable while I'm on the phone with his Nana. Nope. <laughs> um, so, yeah. And I wanted to say if anyone who came to my true crime tours are listening, woohoo! thank you for joining Yay! us. That makes me so happy. Yay! Um, I had a really good time doing these tours and, um, these were, I think, some of my best ever. I mean, I'm not tooting my own horn because I don't know how to do that, <laughs> but I'm just saying I had the most fun at least. So um, it makes me happy if you're here. Yay. 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 Um, Thanks for stopping by. Oh, yes. God. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, I think the only other news we have is sad news. I think we're all sad about Taylor Hawkins of the food. Absolutely. 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 That, that hit hard and that 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 hurt um yes. yeah I feel like I've been a Foo Fighters fan almost since day one I mean I remember seeing the Big Me video and just yes the funniest Big Me was ever. the first video mm-hmm. I saw and then learned to fly learned to fly I went back and favorites. watched a lot of their old videos which some of them are, are pre-Taylor but once he shows up he shows up with a bang absolutely and, um, I just, I love the Foo Fighters. I saw them in Memphis uh-huh. um, a couple of years ago and they were incredible. And Taylor, as always, is just, he was such a machine back there and just going crazy on the drums mm-hmm. and such a joy to watch. So it makes me really sad that, um, that we've lost a true rock star. Yeah. Absolutely. And there's just, just such a wholesome band too. I mean, yeah. how, how many kids would they bring up on stage and have oh, play yeah. with them when right. they go out that there was musical and, um, I saw something, I think probably on TikTok of a girl with like right before he died on their oh, tour, yeah. played the drums and he brought her up on stage during the show. It's just very well loved, very, I don't want to say yeah. wholesome because obviously, right. you know, but, but everything in, has in, its problems. Yeah. In a rock and roll way, they're wholesome. And I absolutely yeah. adore Dave Grohl and my heart yeah. is just so broken for all of them because mm-hmm. you could tell that they were just the friends. best of friends. Yeah. And, um, it's very yeah, sad. and Dave Grohl had the greatest um, quote about he doesn't have guilty pleasures. He enjoys, yeah. but he enjoys. He said, you know, he took his kids to a Backstreet Boys concert and had the time of his fucking life. Yeah, yeah. you know, and he's like, don't feel guilty about it. You yeah. just have fun. It's supposed to be fun, you know. Yeah. And I feel like I 
I don't know how, but randomly know different people in the band, like me and um, my friend Savannah, back when we worked at Graceland, we handled the Graceland podcast and we were on a podcast panel with Chris Shiflett, who is a guitarist for the Foo Fighters, because he has his own podcast, um, which is incredible. So I, I highly recommend looking at that podcast if you love music. Um, but he was just such a kind guy. And I feel like, mm-hmm. you know, I know people who know, know Dave and, and, you know, all this kind of different stuff. And it's like everything I've ever heard about anybody in that band is that they are just kind-hearted, as you right. say, Lori, wholesome guys. So, um, yeah, just breaks my heart. So I've been, I've had those, those guys in my thoughts because yeah. it's never easy to lose someone so quickly. Yeah. And so and young, so young. Yeah. age 50. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. I think that's all we have for you this week. Oh, I, I did want to shout out very quickly to Miss Molly Monster. Um, she once again created a magical <gasps> yes. creation. I had asked her months ago, or I, I mentioned to her months ago, I wanted um, to get Hannah a little Baphomet, a little crochet Baphomet for her birthday. And she's like, yeah, that's cool and all, but let's jazz this up. And so <laughs> it's a hybrid Baphomet Mothman and he's on roller skates. <laughs> So I love thank it. you to Miss Molly Monster. You can find her on Instagram, Etsy, Facebook, probably everywhere. Um, she did such a great job. And I always appreciate her taking her imagination and just running with it and creating something I could never have even dreamed of. So yes, it's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, Hank the tank wanna... has been trying to steal it from me. He cannot have it. No, it is know. mine. Yeah, <laughs> um, so... And she has a lot to live up to because, you know, I I'm expecting something just as fantastic come September. So yes. <laughs> absolutely. Now, Sheena. <laughs> I know I got to figure out that. So yeah, I just, um, her stuff, she always, you know, she, the stuff that she just creates in general is very cute and adorable. Mm-hmm. And I always see cute little critters I want to adopt on her Instagram or it's Etsy. Um, but she really went above and beyond for this one. So yeah. Yeah. He's fantastic. And I love adorable. him. So, we'll have to post a picture. Critters. Yeah. We yes, will. we definitely and will. Hank. We need to yes. post. And Hank. Yes. Um, so yeah. So speaking of cryptids and all things creepy, this week's theme is um, springtime spookies. Yeah. Yes. Um, we know we've been a little heavy lately with um, some really heavy stories. Um, we had animals who mourn a couple of weeks ago. And I know some people said, you know, they had to work up the emotions to listen to that one. So um, we wanted to give you some stories that were a little more lighthearted, even though I don't. Mine's not lighthearted. Mine's not that lighthearted, <laughs> come to think of it. And I don't know. I can't remember. I know Lori's story, but I don't remember details. So I can't remember how lighthearted that is. I just Look, know that we are who we are. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, let's, we think there's, you know, or at least I believe you shouldn't just keep everything spooky in October. Everything should be spooky all year. Yes. Round. Yes. Halloween so is saying, every day. It is in my heart. That's for sure. Yes. Okay. So y'all said I'm going first. So yes. Yes. Here we go. Um, I'm going to take y'all to the diviest dive bar in town. So picture it. Memphis, Tennessee, present day. Ooh. Locals and tourists alike flock to Ernestine and Hazel's for its famous soul burger and maybe for a ghost. Ooh. Ooh. Um, I love this place because it's supposedly one of the most haunted places in Memphis. It definitely uh, gives you that feeling if you've ever been in there, <laughs> especially upstairs late at night when there's no one else in there. It's a little creepy. Um, 
So this is the story of Ernestine and Hazel's. So if you're in downtown Memphis, um, Ernestine and Hazel's is on South Main Street. It's catty cornered from the arcade restaurant, which is the oldest restaurant in the city. Um, and has delicious French toast. <laughs> and really good <laughs> sweet potato pancakes. Um, it's also right beside, um, it's near the broom closet, which is um, a local metaphysical shop. And they have awesome stuff. I cannot brag about the broom closet more. They also... Um, the folks that own the broom closet also have um, historical haunts. I think that's the name of it. They do tour bus tours all over town. They're awesome. Anyway, <laughs> so uh, Ernestine and Hazel's, it's a two-story building. It lo looks a little rough on the outside. Uh, the main floor is really cute. There's like a regular bar. They have tables. They have a jukebox, which we're going to talk about later. Um, lots of photos of celebrities on the wall because a lot of celebrities have come through this place. And then upstairs, it's kind of terrifying. Um, I think it's been renovated only to the point to keep it like sound structurally, but it's like the walls are sort of crumbling in and the furniture has been there and <laughs> there's some questionable art like a really weird looking Elvis that does not look like Elvis <laughs> um it, it's it's my favorite part of the building but it's a little creepy um there's like a painting of Bell Star up there like <laughs> random stuff um and it's really one of the most unique places i've ever been to not just in memphis but all of america and crazily enough the story of ernestine and hazel sort of starts down in tupelo mississippi um as so all crazy stories do yes <laughs> so there's a left turn because tupelo is boring anyway i didn't <laughs> say that um, so the building that would become Ernestine and Hazel started out as a pharmacy in the 1930s. I mean, it was built like there was a church there originally. And then the structure that is Ernestine and Hazel's was constructed in like 1918. But then either way, it basically became a pharmacy in the 30s. And that's really what it was known for. And I say that it started in Tupelo because the pharmacy owner was Abe Plow. And he was born in Tupelo in 1892. But within a year of his birth, uh, he and his family moved to Memphis. Abe created a product that could, quote, straighten the hair out. And if you <laughs> think about um, hair from the 30s and 40s, you know, you always see those like slick back hairdos, you know? Yeah. Um, so he, all, that got him on the map. But then he also went on to create copper tone suntan lotion. Oh. So long story short, Abe became a multimillionaire. <laughs> so that do it. Yeah, so he moved out of that building. He merged with some corporations. He had a lot of money. And of course, he outgrew that building. So he sold it to two hairstylists who had rented out the upstairs section of the building, Ernestine Mitchell and Hazel Jones. These ladies were sisters. And in 1962, they turned the building into a club called Ernestine and Hazel's. Uh, there was a jazz club downstairs, a room for a salon upstairs, and then, you know, you could um, spend the night there and you could pay either, you know, for the whole night or by the hour. Um, oh. It was very much a brothel. <laughs> um, Ernestine's, me too. Ernestine's husband, Andrew, was known as Sunbeam. And he was a Memphis music promoter and he had a club called Club Paradise. And this was a pretty good size venue. It held like 2,500 people and it was a huge club, mostly for black artists and for black patrons. He owned it for like 40 years and throughout the 50s, 60s, 70s into the 80s, he would host 
everybody who was basically amazing of those times. Um, everyone from Little Richard to Sam Cooke, Ray Charles, Tina Turner, Aretha Franklin, Chuck Berry, Jackie Wilson. Um, and they would all play these shows down at Club Paradise. And then late into the night, they would all wander down to Ernestine and Hazel's and they'd get some food, um, maybe rest up, maybe get some action, uh, maybe drink a little bit and maybe do some drugs because their rumor has it that Ray Charles did heroin in one of those upstairs bathrooms at Ernestine and Hazel's. Ah. <laughs> um, so the the guy who rid, who owned Ernestine and Hazel's in the 80, in the 90s and 2000s who we're going to get to in a minute he um remembered finding syringes in those walls upstairs so you know some fun stuff happened up there um but as memphis saw an increase in crime tourism started to decline and a lot of those well-known and well-loved clubs in the uh downtown area closed so sunbeam sold uh, club paradise in the 80s and ernestine and hazel sold their club in 1992 they were getting older they were in their 60s by this point and their health was declining and they were just like we're we're done we're out peace out so they sold the building to bud chittam and delmer george which is a great southern name and um bud brought on a guy named russell george no relation to delmer to create Ernestine and Hazel's and they opened the new club that we know and love today in 1993 and I wanted to talk very briefly about Russell George because he's one of the few people that I'm like I hate I never got a chance to meet this guy like he was the rare cool white guy like (laughs) there are a lot of adult white dudes who are just for whatever reason, not cool, nerdy, Trash. racist. Yeah, whatever. Right. Not this guy. This guy was cool. When he was a kid, he went to a James Brown concert at the Mid-South Coliseum and James Brown hosted and judged the James Brown dance contest. How many times can I say James Brown? <laughs> and Russell George was 10 years old. He was the only white kid in the contest and he won. And I'm like, look, for James Brown to tell you that you're that good of a dancer, you're awesome. Yeah. At the age of 15, he opened up his own illegal bar out of his apartment, which I love. Good for him. And then as an adult, he opened Murphy's on Madison Avenue, which is still there. Um, And he was a band manager. And then he really built Ernestine and Hazel's into what it is today. It's the ultimate dive bar with the ultimate Memphis vibe. Um, He decided the menu should consist of one thing and one thing only, the Soul Burger. And this is how the I Love Memphis blog described the Soul Burger a couple of years ago. And this sounds delicious in that Mm -hmm. dive bar kind of way. The Soul Burger is a smoky, inseparable mess of beef, cheese, grilled onions, pickles, and mustard. Oh God, I'm so hungry. (laughs) If you don't want one of the ingredients, let the cook know before you get started. Once the bun is involved, it's too late. The cheese, onions, and sauce act as a gooey, greasy glue that fuses meat to the bread. Though Ernestine and Hazel serve Soul Burgers all day, they're not really a lunch food. They're not really a dinner food either. They're the kind of food that should only exist between 10 p.m. and 3 (laughs) a.m. Little gut bombs designed to mop up your stomach after a long night of partying. Like, yes, come to mama. Um, And I'm just trying to sort of give y'all like a, a, the vibe for this place, right? So it's just really cool. I love the upstairs because yes, everything is sort of, you feel like you might fall through the floor at any point, but you probably want, like I said, it's, it's structurally sound. There's a lot of really cool, like graffiti everywhere. Some of it's just from like visitors who are like, you know, 
so-and-so and -and so-and-so 2001 or something, you know, that kind of stuff. But one of my favorites is um, Russell George recreated a sign that Ernestine and Hazel had had up originally. And it says, no dope smoking, no cursing, no freeloading, which I love. (laughs) I need that on a cross stitch. (laughs) I know. Um, There's also these weird voodoo looking symbols that are upstairs. And I hope I'm not being like disrespectful when I say that. But I mean, every time I've gone up there, people are like, ooh, that's from voodoo. And I'm like, you know voodoo like I do. Like, come on. (laughs) Yes. You have watched two episodes of Supernatural and now you're an expert. Um, but it is pretty creepy up there. There's one room that's entirely painted black and it's, it's just, it's a cool place. Either way, either way, let's get to the creepiness. So Ernestine and Hazel's, it's been this famous dive bar for more than 20 years. Um, but change did come for the building in the morning hours of September 8th, 2013, when our friend Russell George completed suicide in his office upstairs at Ernestine and Hazel's. He was 62 and he was suffering from both cancer and depression Hmm. and the, the restaurant or the bar, whatever you want to call it has changed hands a couple of times since Russell's passing, but everyone's done their best to keep it as is with few renovations, few changes, like I said, enough to keep it structurally sound. So why is this place so creepy? Well, rumor has it that Russell was the 13th person to die in the bar Ooh. who were these other people who died well um all the rumors of of people dying in there it really swirls around the sex workers who worked in the club and if you take a ghost tour in memphis which i've done you will hear several tragic violent and probably apocryphal stories because i really doubt any of these are true but i'm gonna pass them on to you because it's Why a fun not? Ghost story. <laughs> so when me and spencer took the ghost tour i think i maybe been in memphis maybe a year and you finish up your, at least at the time, you finish up the tour at Ernestine and Hazel's and you go upstairs. And I mean, it's just creepy. They're telling you all these creepy stories in this creepy building. Um, one of the stories was that a sex worker was pushed out of the second floor window or down the stairs. I've heard both by a John and now she only chases after men. So if you're leaving, you may turn around if you're a man and see a woman chasing after you. Which I'm like, I would, I would love it if she would grab a hold of somebody sometime. Another one. Good for her. I know. Another one. And this is in the room that is painted entirely black. Um, There's this long like pipe on one side of the walls. And the rumor was that I don't know why she was redheaded, but she was apparently this beautiful redheaded sex worker. And she was dating three different guys at the same time. And I don't know if they realized Surely they did what she was doing professionally, but I don't know that they realized that she was seeing each of them separately. Mm. And then they all go to a bar one night. They're all like talking about, oh, my girlfriend, oh, she's causing me heartache, blah, blah, blah. And they all realize they're dating the same woman. Is this not the plot of Dixie Chicken? (laughs) I have no idea. The song? Oh, I don't know. Okay, listen to it and tell me. Well, it probably is because I doubt this. <laughs> Supposedly, they all go down to Ernestine and Hazel's where they find her. They tie her to that big pipe that is in the room and they um, beat her. Well, that's not in the song. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, I'm telling you, it takes a dark turn. So then Ernestine and Hazel hear that she's being beat up. So they go run in, they chase them out and they take her into one of those bathrooms up there to clean her up. 
And when they leave to go call for help, she completes suicide in the bathroom. Mm-mm. And people have reported getting stuck in there. Like once you're in there, you're in there and you can't get out. Spencer and I made friends with this sweet little couple on the tour. And we all (laughs) gathered. I think we had one of the girls in there with us and the other girl was on the outside. She's like, I'm not doing it. And we're like, we're going to see if we can get stuck in the bathroom. We cannot get stuck in the bathroom, but we tried. (laughs) Um, I did think it was interesting though. If you know my friend Spencer, he bounces off the wall 24 seven. Like no one has more energy than Spencer. But there's this one room, it's off to the side of the the room that's painted black. And um, there's like a table in there and a couple of chairs. And they're like, oh yeah, anytime a man comes in this room, this is where the men would wait their turn um, to to mm-hmm. get their action. And yeah. um, that some of the guys would get sleepy and fall asleep <laughs> while they were waiting their turn. And um, so they're like men who come in this room, they automatically just get really tired and they're like, Bleh. and literally before we knew that story, Spencer went in there and just plopped down and was like, God, I'm exhausted. And I was like, what? or the sex <laughs> workers were slipping them a Mickey to make the job yeah, easier. That too. <laughs> I could see that. Now the room where supposedly the sex worker was beat, that room that's dark, like y'all know me, I, if I'm going to go ghost hunting, I won't. I want a ghost. I want something Absolutely. to happen to me. Yeah. And I always go in there and I'm like, do something. Like, I'm not like Zach Baggins level of like, do something, but I'm like, <laughs> do something, like prove it. And we I are felt- the white ladies in the horror movies. Oh yeah. Yes. Oh yeah, I totally am. <laughs> um, but yeah, I felt something on the back of my neck. It felt like something was pushing into my neck, but it didn't, it wasn't hot. It wasn't cold. It was just this really intense pressure. It was very weird. So there's some weirdness in there. I will say that. Is it a bunch of sex workers who were murdered? I don't know. Either way, um, there's also, if you Google Ernestine and Hazel's, there's a wonderful um, essay that was written by a woman who worked there for many, many years named Karen Brownlee. And she wrote about her time at Ernestine and Hazel's and like what it was like to work at a haunted bar. And um, she said, and a lot of other people have said, the jukebox downstairs is haunted. That if you're sitting around downstairs and you're just chatting about whatever, it'll all of a sudden fire up and whatever song it's playing will be related to what you were just talking about. Oh, wow. She said the day that James Brown died, this is a very James Brown heavy story. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, she and a coworker were saying, oh God, James Brown died today. Oh, so sad. And all of a sudden the jukebox started playing, I feel good. and another time they were talking she and russell actually were talking about exorcisms and like creepy stuff like that and it started playing the rolling stones sympathy for the devil oh how true is this i don't know but i love it and i'm like i I always want it to play something when i'm there i choose to believe it i choose to believe it and i i've i don't spend a lot of time downstairs i always go immediately upstairs but Anyway, um, she said she's also, there's a piano upstairs. It's very, very old. She said she's heard that playing by itself. Um, this story that I'm about to share is very, very sweet. And it makes me very sad. I'm like, this to me is not scary ghost. It's just, I think our loved ones reaching out after they've passed. Um, in 2007, Karen's son was murdered and she was at work when she heard that he had died. And she always believed that Ernestine looked out for her. And Ernestine had died in 1999. Anyway, so she prayed to Ernestine and to God and to Ernestine, like, (laughs) give me a sign that he's okay. And it was early in the day. So like no one was in there, but all of a sudden this baby bird comes and flies in the front doorway and kind of hops around and flies off. Mm 
And that same day, a woman that she'd never seen before came into the bar and they got to talking and Karen's like, oh my God, my son just died. And they talked for a few minutes and then the woman left and about an hour later, she returned with a sterling silver necklace with a bird on it, giving it to Karen. She didn't know about the bird from earlier. She just said she felt called to give her that necklace, which I thought was sweet. Um, In an interview with the Commercial Appeal in 1995, Russell said he had had some creepy experiences. He said, you just hear things upstairs. I was scared when I first got here. I heard some whispering and stuff. I'd run downstairs. I had to get out of there. It's such an eerie feeling up there. Hmm. Um, And then in 2016, when they were working on kind of renovating it, I swear, if I say that building has been renovated and then someone goes, they're going to be like, no, it hasn't been. But I swear (laughs) to God, it has. They found bones in the walls Jesus, of Ernestine and Hazel's Um, and they were freaked out and then rumors swirled that they were human bones. So even the cops showed up, but they turned out to be cow bones. That doesn't make me feel any better because why are there cow cow bones in the walls? Unless you were eating some ribs and just chunked them in there. Maybe, but I'm like, I just, that's weird to me. Oh, Memphis. Between cow bones and syringes, that place has seen some stuff. (laughs) Um, So, yeah. So, anyway, um, I'm almost done. Um, (laughs) I've looked everywhere. I have not been able to find any account of anyone getting murdered in that building. The only person I know who died in there is Russell George. I can't find that anyone else ever has. I'm not saying it didn't happen. I'm just saying I can't find evidence of it. Why is it so haunted? I don't know why not. Maybe they just like a good time and trust me, it's always a good time. <laughs> right. So um, let me start off with the people I can't find. I cannot find Hazel. I hear she died in 1995 and that she's buried in Arkansas. I can't find her. And that frustrates me. Um, Ernestine died at the age of 80 in 1999. Her husband, Sunbeam, died a year or 10 years earlier in 1989 at the age of 83. They are both buried at New Park Cemetery in Memphis. I have been out there trying to find their graves. I cannot find them. It is a massive cemetery. It is really huge. It's actually, um, I would love to eventually cover this on the podcast because it was started by this awesome black lady who wanted like really good, nice funeral um, offerings for the black folks of Memphis. And it's a huge cemetery and it's really pretty. So I've still got to go talk to the um, folks at the office and find out where they are. And if I do that, I will um, post a picture of their graves because I'm dying to see them. I can't find them online. But Russell George is at Elmwood. um, (laughs) And I've talked to people who knew him and they just, everyone who's ever told me about him has just talked about him in such glowing ways. Um, He was cremated and his ashes are buried at Lino Circle, which is sort of like the center of the cemetery. It's where the movers and shakers are are buried. And my favorite thing is that his tombstone says, be cool, (laughs) which is nice. Um, Let's wrap up um, because I love ending on a quote. Um, I read this story from the 1990, a 1995 edition of the Commercial Appeal Um, where they did a big story on Russell and on um, Ernestine and Hazel's. And this is what Russell said about the bar. And I just, I love it so much. This to me is exactly what Ernestine and Hazel's is. 
He said, it's a place that Memphis needs. It's the real Memphis. It's what Memphis is not only all about. It's really what Memphis should be about. All ages, colors, religions, they all come in here and dance in front of that jukebox. And then he said, we have a saying, Ernestine and Hazel's, not for the serious, sad, or mad. We really try to run it as a big fun house. It's got to be fun. If I'm not having fun, it's time to go. I like that. I loved it. I'm like, that is Ernestine and Hazel's for sure. Mm -hmm. So yeah, if you ever need to go get your spook on and dance to a haunted jukebox and have a soul burger, Memphis's one and only Ernestine and Hazel's is where you need to go and be kind to the ghosts that are there. Oh, I love that. Yeah. All right. Luhu mess us up. Okay. Well, I think this is, I think this is lighthearted, but we'll, we'll see. (laughs) So my story today has it all. I wish I could do a Stefan impression, but I'm not that talented. (laughs) It has it all. It has murder, mayhem, ghosts, goats, (laughs) and even a little consensual incest. For goodness. Oh, oh! I remember that part. I do. Again, it's well, well, yes. So the incest is kind of oh, it's assumed, but gotcha. We'll get to it. We'll get to it. But before we get into the batshit crazy story surrounding (laughs) Goat Castle, I want to tell you just a little bit about the the city where this all took place, Natchez, Mississippi, the oldest settlement on the Mississippi River and the oldest city in the state. Mm-hmm. And I totaled my car in Natchez. I remember Our that senior year of college, a week before we graduated. Yes, I remember that. God, yeah, man, memories don't hold it against. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, so Natchez was established by French colonists in 1716 as Fort Rosalie, before being renamed for the Natchez Native American tribe in 1763. This is a highlight. It was the most active slave trading market in the South, second only behind New Orleans. Oh, boy. But it was also an area with a significant number of free African-Americans during the pre-Civil War era. Interesting. On May 7th, 1840, a tornado struck the city and killed 269 residents, making it the second deadliest tornado in U.S. history. All right for some ghosts and yes, that has nothing to do with the story, but I thought it was worth mentioning. (laughs) Yep. Today, Natchez is home to the Great Mississippi River Balloon Race, (laughs) and is also known as the biscuit capital of the world. Really? Uh, Okay. It's also recognized as one of the most haunted small towns in Mississippi. Yeah. Sign me up. There are a lot. (laughs) I'm dying to go down. And do a big um, Vicksburg and Natchez. Mm-hmm. They like, have one of the oldest and ghost tours um, and all that. Yeah, they have one of the oldest um, Jewish synagogues in the country too. Oh, mm-hmm. that's cool. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Didn't know that. So, at the center of the story today, there are three women: Jane Sergeant Merrill, who went by Jenny; Emily Burns, who is an African American laundress; and Octavia Dockery, the mistress of what would be known as Goat Castle. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about each of these ladies, and we're going to start with Miss Jenny. Jenny Merrill was born in Natchez, uh, believed to be August of 1863, but she moved to New York as an infant because her family sided with the North during the Civil War, 
Good for them. Yeah. And her daddy was good friends with Ulysses S. Grant. So he kept them from going totally broke. And after the, um, and so when they moved up to New York, he, uh, Grant became president and appointed her father, Ayers Merrill, to be the ambassador to Belgium. So the family oh. moved abroad. Good oh, for them. Nice. Yes. Jenny returned to Natchez in the early 1900s when she was in her early 30s. She never married, but it was common knowledge that her second cousin, Duncan Minor, was head over heels in love with her. <laughs> there are numerous love letters that they have that were written by him, but it, there is no reciprocation of love letters. But when she returned to Natchez, he would leave every night. He would leave his mansion that he lived with his mother in and ride to her mansion and spend the night and then ride home early in the morning. Uh-huh. Look, cousin fucking was appropriate among a certain level of people in that um, that era. Also, I like how our girl here was smart enough to say burn my letters. <laughs> yeah, <Yes>. like <laughs> clever girl. Had, like had the evidence ma'am mm-hmm. well so uh, there is a relative that said that they had gotten married in secret because her mother did not approve of the relationship mm-hmm. but again mm-hmm. we may never know for sure but if he was making nightly visits and staying at night i'm pretty safe to sh- i think it's pretty safe to say that there was some hanky-panky going on that's really <laughs> nobody's business who cares consenting right. adults that's I mean, true. at least they were second cousins. Yeah. Right. It's not like, yeah, could, that could I mean, be way worse. Yeah. It could be um, worse. Yeah. Yeah. So Jenny purchased her home, which was a mansion and 45 acres known as Glen Burnie in 1904. I've heard of that? It's still standing. So it's, it's still okay. there. Um, she became a recluse in her old age. The only person she allowed to visit her was Duncan. Um, and she she resisted any type of change. She dressed in the Victorian okay. style. She refused to put electricity into her home. And that's just how she chose to live. She was an odd duck to the people of Natchez. Um, things became difficult for her when Richard, who went by Dick. Uh, <laughs> so Dick Dana and <laughs> Octavia Dockery moved into the mansion next door. The home was known as Glenwood, but would go down in history as Goat Castle. Dick and Octavia were a very odd pair. He had dreamt of becoming a concert pianist and had even studied music in New York. But at some point when he was home, an incident happened where something um, uh, like drapes or a window fell on his hand and basically crippled it. And so he was unable to play music without messing up the notes. So his mm. dreams were shattered. Um, and he was a weirdo anyway. So he just yeah. went to live at Glenwood and Octavia was invited to move in with him to kind of be his caretaker. She was a distant relation of uh, Jefferson Davis, boo, uh, but she fancied herself a poet. Oh, God, so, this sounds like the biggest group of insufferable assholes. Yeah. Someone yeah. needs to make a movie or like a No, they opera. do. They do. So this is like some great garden shit. No, they definitely something needs. There needs to be a movie because this is yes, just that shit insane. Yeah. Um, but they so he ran out of money eventually and they had bought a herd of goats to oh God. use the milk to, I guess, pay their bills and live. But I mean, the the goats 
just took over the property. They Um, do that. (laughs) And because of this, Jenny came to hate Dick and Octavia, even though some of the sources said that they were all friends before, like the foursome Jenny and um, her cousin and Dick and Octavia palled around a lot. But at some point they began to hate each other, probably because the goats had the run of uh, Glenwood and were destroying everything and would even come over into uh, Jenny's property and eat her rose bushes. Oh, see, just- you know, I was watching uh, that Nightmare Neighbors show on ID uh-huh. all day yesterday. So, yeah, no, I could see it. Oh. So bottom line, these neighbors hated each other and they were like back and forth making complaints against one another with law enforcement. So because Dick was broke, the goats weren't, you know, they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. They were tearing up the house, doing goat shit. Um, (laughs) Jenny tried to get Duncan to buy the property because he owed so much back taxes Mm because she wanted to kick him out and have them out of her life forever. However, Octavia saw this coming and she had Dick declared mentally incompetent so she could become his guardian. And because of this, they weren't going to take the home away from somebody who was mentally unstable. Right. It wasn't going to happen. So Octavia thinking on her feet. Exactly. But then one day in the early 1930s, Jenny did the unthinkable. She had enough of the goats eating her rose bushes. So she shot one. Oh, Dick was furious and pressed charges. And the case even went to trial, but it was dismissed. Charges against her were dropped. However, this incident made the entire city of Natchez aware of just how disgusting (laughs) the conditions in Glenwood were. Every inch inside that house was covered in dust and animal feces. All of these beautiful antique furniture was eaten up. Birds were making their nests. Um, These books that were like first edition leather bound books had become waterlogged and stained and the mattresses were just it was fucking disgusting y'all yeah and the the roof was caving in because they didn't have any money to fix it so it was just (sighs) deplorable conditions yeah nightmare then came august 4th 1932 upon arriving for their nightly visit duncan came upon a horrible scene the front room of glen burney So Jenny's house was in shambles. Glass was broken. There was blood splatter on the walls, but there was no sign of Jenny. It would take a posse most of the night before they would find the body of Jenny Merrill barefoot in a bloodstained blue dress. I love a posse though. Yes. She had been (laughs) killed by multiple gunshot wounds to the head and torso. So no one really knows how old she was. You know, you look up different sources and it'll give you different ages, but yeah. she was believed to be anywhere from 68 to 70 years old. Aww. So yes, it's sad. She was murdered. I mean, she was she, old. At least she was old. I mean, if yeah, you're right. going to try to like, eh. I guess but that's, yeah, it still sucks. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it's the early, it's the 1930s. Yeah, so I guess yeah. that's not old today, but yeah, it, yeah I'm just trying yeah, to look at the bright the side time. of her, yeah, yeah. the murder. Yeah. So immediately the newspapers and the people of Natchez were just full of gossip and speculation that those weird neighbors 
at Goat Castle were responsible for the killing. There was a deformed handprint that had been found in Jenny's blood, and many believe, oh, hey, Dick Dana has a crippled hand. Let's yep. it's, it's gotta be him. As the story was published across North America, more and more people became sickened by the unsightly conditions at Glenwood. Uh but the authorities could not find 12 men to hear the case. So they couldn't even <laughs> convene a jury. Um, and the prosecution conveniently could not remember of the name, the name of the fingerprint expert who had said Dick's handprint matched the one that was found in Jenny's blood. If only somebody could have written that down. Right, right. And they didn't <laughs> want to press charges against wealthy white folk. Are you crazy? I know. How uh, dare you? So charges were dropped. I mean, they weren't wealthy, but you know what I mean? The, the status, right. you know. So charges were dropped after authorities in Pine Bluff, Arkansas, called the Natchez oh, police to report the death of George Pearls, an African-American man who had been shot by police after pulling a 32 caliber gun on an officer. Allegedly. Well, ballistics from the gun (laughs) matched the bullets that killed Jenny. And he he also had a deformed hand that could have made the print in her blood. (laughs) Oh my God. Okay. So case closed, the black man did it, which he he did. So, but there's more to the story. So, and now we come to the third woman in our story, Emily Burns, a 37-year-old African-American widow who worked as a laundress and ran a boarding house where Pearls had been staying before the murder. Authorities, I I couldn't find anything why they brought her in or how they came to suspect her of being involved, but they questioned her for 10 days, insisting that, and she insisted, dude, just live with, you know, he was one of my lodgers, that's it. There was nothing. Nothing on no funny business. Right. Yeah. But on the 11th day of questioning, the officer that was talking to her just kind of set a bullwhip out in front of her. Oh my God. Okay. And her confession came soon after. I oh bet my it God, did. That's disgusting. According to her confession, she accompanied Pearls to Jenny's house that evening of her death, thinking that his intention was just to rob the wealthy woman. However, he was confronted by Jenny when he went into the house and there was a struggle and he shot her. However, in part of her written confession that was not included in any newspapers, she claimed that the whole scheme had been set up by Dick and Octavia and that they had been in the house when the murder occurred and she was outside. Okay. So, of course, the case against Emily went to trial. And on November 26th, 1932, it took a jury less than 30 minutes to find her guilty of being an accessory to murder. Of course. And this, her sentence was the same that you would get if you had actually committed the murder. Wow. Right. They didn't sentence her to death because they honestly didn't think she had anything to do with it, but they found her guilty anyway. Hmm? Jesus. Uh, And guess where she was sent? Parchman. She was sent to Parchman. Oh, no. Where she she remained until 1940. But something good coming from the governor of Mississippi – I'll be damned. I know. uh, Governor Paul B. Johnson Jr. pardoned her of her crime. Um, Parchman was overcrowded. There was a lot of issues going on with the treatment of inmates. So he he would he would hold these mercy. Yeah, these mercy hearings. And she was released. She returned to Natchez, got remarried and passed away in 1969. I couldn't find any record of her death or burial. I did see in one of the articles that 
her death went unreported in the New York Times, but the deaths of Octavia and Dick were covered in the New York Times. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So following the media frenzy that surrounded the death of Jenny Merrill, Dick Dana and Octavia Dockery saw an opportunity to make a little cash and just tell me what this whole thing reminds you of after I finish. So they charged 50 cents a person, handed out leaflets, Octavia carried a goat, and Dick would perform musical numbers during the tours. (laughs) That sounds familiar, like any place we may have visited in college. (laughs) You know, filthy. Yes. Like, I'm like, oh my God, Paul McLeod would have been in heaven with these two. God bless Graceland too. Uh, So um, the pair would continue to give tours until their deaths. Dick died in 1948 of, I think, pneumonia and heart disease. And then Octavia followed in 1949. But not a single penny of the money went to pay their back taxes or much needed repairs to the home. Oh, dear. Um, And I think uh, at at some point, I I didn't go into it because pilgrimage is just, I don't get it. Uh, But the house was included on the annual pilgrimage of old homes that Natchez hosted. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They do that. They do um, it in Holly Springs. Yeah, yeah. For our non-Southerners, um, if you live in a historic area, every spring they do pilgrimages to the historic houses. Um, there's a fantastic Designing Women episode about it <laughs> yes. um, where Dixie Carter just serves up the most beautiful takedown. Um, but yeah, that is... And if you are also not a Southerner, look up Parchman sometime. Oh, God, it is. It's called The Farm, and it sucks. It's (laughs) it's bad. But the the Natchez pilgrimage is a huge pilgrimage. I'm sure it is. Oldest city in the state. I always hear about it. Like, Mm -hmm. even up here, I'm always like, I'll hear people saying they're going to pilgrimage down there. It's huge. Yeah. So Glenwood, which was Goat Castle, was torn down in 1950. Darn. No. And now to the ghost part of the story. What happened to the goats? I don't know. I couldn't. I'm sure they found new homes and they lived happy goat lives. There we go. That's all I needed. (laughs) Following the death of Ginny Merrill, Dick Dana would often play melodies on his piano late into the night. People began avoiding the area between the two mansions, not only to avoid the horrible music, because again, his hand made it impossible for him to play <laughs> as he should. Um, but because many believe the spirit of Jenny haunted the area. Several people claim to have seen her barefoot and clad in a bloody blue dress darting between the trees. And sometimes you could hear her cries over the sounds of Dick's God awful piano music. <laughs> and it, was be- it was believed that he played to drown out her cries imagine spending an eternity like that yeah (laughs) so following his and octavia's deaths reports of ghost sightings intensified with many people claiming to see apparitions of octavia in different forms followed by the faint sound of a clumsy sounding piano music however the sightings died down until the 1980s when the then owner of Glen Burnie reported hearing a disembodied voice calling out to her and having constant issues with the electrical work that was being done during restoration. She didn't want electricity. Yeah, in her she didn't house. want electricity didn't. in her house. Now I tried to find something more current and uh, there was an article um, 
that had a brief mention that the current owner of Glen Burnie has mentioned that she has felt the presence of a spirit in the house, but that she's a happy spirit and a nice spirit. So I think Jenny just likes to be at her house and, you know, you leave yeah. her alone. She'll leave you alone. Right. Um, but oh, yeah, that's Hank. Oh, Hi. Hank, the t- oh. he's coming in for a kiss. Oh, hi, Bubba. Hi. Oh, thank you. Okay. 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 (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Perfect timing. My story is done. (laughs) Let's not eat the microphone, sir. Ow! Or my headphones. I missed Tab. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, when when you so so y'all uh you remember Tabitha, our queen potato, was was an elderly lady when she became Hannah's and uh Hank the Tank is four months old. So yeah, he's got a little bit more energy. It's gonna be interesting to see how Hannah adjusts to life with a with a young (laughs) young pupper. (laughs) I'm trying to buy a bigger condo, you guys. (laughs) Okay. Love it. Yes. So Hannah. All right. So at least (laughs) we have a puppy here to make this story. Uh, Oh, you know what? The story's bad and there's no puppy that's going to make it not bad. So (laughs) picture it. Mexico, 2014. On September 26, 2014, 43 students from the all-male Ayota Zanapa Rural Teachers College were forcibly abducted and then disappeared in Iguala Guerrero, Mexico. They're allegedly taken into custody by local police officers from Iguala and Cocula in collusion with organized crime. The Ayota Zanapa Rural Teachers College is in Tixla, Guerrero, Mexico. It was founded in 1926. It's an all-male school and has historically been associated with a lot of activism, a lot of uh, kind of leftist activism, um, especially in Latin America. Um, And we'll find out in Latin America, uh, activism tends to get a little bloody. Yeah, Guerrero students, uh, including Guerrero teachers, I'm sorry, and including the students are known for their militant and radical protests that often involve hijacking buses and delivery trucks, terrifying. kind of also sounds like a little bit of fun. Um, <laughs> the appropriation of the vehicles was, according to the students, routine and temporary, which is my favorite kind of theft. <laughs> Most of the buses are usually returned after the protests conclude. So it's just a joyride. You know, we're just taking a bus for a little spin. Sure. Yeah. Terrifying. (laughs) Hopefully there are no children in said bus. But hey, I don't know. This tactic has largely been tolerated by law enforcement. Although federal uh, agents tend to not actively confront the students when they, quote, borrow the buses. (laughs) The practice puts students and teachers at odds with local officials. Yeah, think. Yeah. Some of their other protest tactics include throwing rocks at police, <laughs> blocking roads, and stealing property. As you do. I, I kind of love these kids. <laughs> students claim these tactics are the only way to get attention and earn funds from the government. So I don't know if they're like holding buses buses hostage or something yeah (laughs) but hey you know what do you man so on the fateful day september 26th at about 6 p.m more than 100 students from the school had traveled to iguala to commandeer a bus for an upcoming march in mexico city um iguala is not that far from mexico city so they could have you know gotten a city bus and gotten there fairly quickly 
in Iguala, their plan was to interrupt a political conference held by the wife of a mayor. Um, Mexico politics. I don't pretend to know anything about municipal politics in Mexico. But on their way there, the students were intercepted by the Iguala musical musical <laughs> municipal <laughs> police at about 9 30 reportedly on orders from the mayor the details of what followed during the students clash with the police of course vary police not telling the truth in mexico surely not <laughs> according to police reports the police chased the students because they had hijacked three buses and attempted and attempted to drive them off to carry out the protests members of the student union however said that they had just been protesting and then were hitchhiking when they clashed with police i'm sure the truth is somewhere in the middle probably as the buses sped away and the chase ensued the police opened fire two students were killed in one of the bus while some fled into the surrounding hills roughly three hours later escaped students returned to the scene to speak with reporters In a related incident, unidentified gunmen fired at a bus carrying players from a local soccer team, which they may have mistaken for one of the buses that the students were in. Bullets struck the bus and hit two taxis. The bus driver, a soccer player, and a woman inside one of the taxis were killed. The next morning, trigger warning, this is gory. The next morning, the authorities discovered the corpse of a student, Julio Cesar Mondragon, who had attempted to run away during the gunfire. His eyes had been gouged out and the skin of his face flayed to a bare skull. Oh, no. Boy, when I tell you, (laughs) they do some gnarly crimes down in Mexico. The cartels are not fucking around. Gnarly. BT dubs, if you were the cartels listening to this, do not kidnap me. I am fucking useless. I know nothing. I won't say shit. Her family has no money. Exactly. You're not (laughs) getting jack squat. We ain't got nothing. (laughs) Do not kidnap poor people. No. Also, you really don't want to get on my mom's bad side. I'm just saying. Yeah. Um, After the shootings, eyewitnesses said that the students were rounded up and forced into police vehicles. Once in custody, the students were taken to the police station and then handed over to another jurisdiction's police. This all seems pretty above board, whatever. The neighboring community, Kokula, uh, police chief, then ordered his subordinates to transport the students to a rural community known as Pueblo Viejo, which is interesting. At some point, while still alive, the students were handed over by the police to members of the Guerreros Unidos, which is United Warriors in... uh, English, a criminal organization in Guerrero. No. So the equivalent of this is uh, the LAPD arresting a bunch of protesting students and then handing them over to the Crips. Right. This is terrifying. Yes. One of the trucks was used to transport the students was owned by uh, a man who goes by El Cabo Gil. Uh, who's a high-ranking member of said gang, who then started doing, you know, the gang member phone tree. Mm. Um, And he told them that these were members of a uh, competing gang, not that they were 
literal children that had been kidnapped by police. According to investigators, the students were taken to a dumpster in the outskirts of Kokula. After reaching the site, it is likely that 15 students had died of suffocation in the truck, Mm -hmm. and the other students were killed by three stooges. Not the three stooges, but three assholes. Yeah. These subjects then dumped the bodies in a pit and burned the corpses with diesel, gasoline, tires, wood, and plastic. They also destroyed the students' clothing in order to erase all possible evidence. The fire most likely lasted from midnight until 2 or 3 p.m. The gang assigned guards to keep an eye on things throughout the day. At least they're very organized. They poured dirt on the fire to cool it off, then placed the remains in plastic bags and dumped them in the San Juan River. Jeez. Some El Gil, or the leader, uh, sent the text that said, we turned them into dust and threw their remains in the water. The authorities will never find them. Mm, Initially, 57 students were reported missing. 14 of them, however, were located after it was found that they had returned to their families or had made it back safely to the teacher's college. The remaining 43 were still unaccounted for. Student activists accused authorities of with of illegally holding the missing students, but Guerrero authorities said none of the students were in their custody. Well, of course not, because you handed them over to the fucking gang. Yeah. Believing that the missing students had fled through the hills during the shooting. And they, uh, oh, I'm sorry. Believing that the missing students had fled through the hills during the shootings, authorities deployed a helicopter to search for them. You knew where those kids were. Yeah, exactly. How ridiculous. The 43 students have never been found. Wow. So, shit goes down in Mexico. Yeah. That makes me very nervous to ever visit Mexico. Never. Yeah. Like I've always said like it, and I hate to be that way, but I'm kind of like, that place terrifies me. I will not lie. Like, Mm -mm. and I doubt I would ever, you know, take a wrong street and wind up, you know, the subject of some cartel thing, but God, you never know. Yeah. Stay out of Juarez. (laughs) No shit. Well, and that's the thing is I've always wanted to do Dia de los Muertos in Mexico Mm -hmm. City. And, you know, of course, it's like with any, you know, it's basically the largest city, I believe, in the world. Yeah, I think so. So, you know, you're going to have the parts that are safe and then you're going to have the parts that aren't safe. Um, You know, so you just have to be. And I say this as somebody who currently lives in Chicago where everyone thinks I'm like dodging bullets on a regular basis. Yeah. Like you do realize I live down the street from a yoga studio. It's fine. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah. So, I mean, you know. It's a beautiful city. It's a vibrant, it's a gorgeous city, but there's so many parts of Mexico that are just like, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> just don't do it. No. Mm-mm. Well, we all scared you in very different ways. Some of us had ghosts and some of us had cartels. <laughs> exactly. Anna. <laughs> Though, I mean, I still think bus theft as a form of protest is pretty amazing. <laughs> Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. yeah. I have to I have to give them props for that. That was that was pretty awesome. Jeez. I mean, I hate their ending for them. That sucks. Yeah. Especially the poor boy where they're like took out his eyeballs. I'm like, well, that wasn't necessary. 
But like, you know, too, the the police are just as guilty. They might. Have oh, they're so absolutely yes, because absolutely. they. I mean, maybe they didn't do the actual violence, but they might as well have. Exactly, yeah. and that is a huge problem, you know, in a lot of these places in Mexico where they talk about, well, why aren't the cops doing anything? Well, a lot of times the cops are the cartel yeah yeah or are part of the cartel getting paid by the cartel exactly Mm -hmm. and that's not to say you know that all of them are underhanded they might just be getting their fit like if i don't play ball with this cartel they're gonna fucking mutilate my family in front of me right Mm -hmm. you know so it's kind of it's a hard situation for everyone except for the cartels who seem to be having just a wonderful time yeah uh love that for them (laughs) you know (laughs) carry on I guess but but yeah so I was you know I would kind of I switched my topic like 50 times Mm -hmm. because I just couldn't get in the right headspace right and um I was so I went on reddit which is where you go (laughs) if you need to know some shit yeah and it was like the creepiest disappearances and I hadn't heard of this one and I was like fuck yeah we're finna check this out (laughs) so it was really cool. Um, I'm going to definitely be Googling some more about it just to kind of find you calm down. <laughs> yes, sir. Ow. Um, but yeah, so yeah. you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, we hope we scared you either um, with our supernatural stories or our real story. <laughs> Like, right real <laughs> yeah. real life real life not just yeah maybe right. there's a ghost but um there's oh i'm sure, sure there's tons of ghosts <laughs> oh yeah yes um yeah. Ooh, she had even i know I i'm in nap. the same my my diet mountain dew is is wearing off um but our next episode is medical same. miracles so excited about this one so that will be fun yes um and luhu where can they find us you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter at cemetery row pod or if you'd like to share a story with us you can send us an email to cemetery at gmail.com <laughs> and um, yeah if you have Yay. any stories send them our way please tell your friends about us leave us a good review uh, anywhere where you can leave reviews yes please um, do exactly. we would appreciate it and yeah thanks for hanging out with us and letting us be spooky in springtime yeah. absolutely all right all right bye bye, bye.